We'll be in the book of John tonight, John chapter 14. We'll be skipping around a couple different passages. I will try to remember to let you know what those passages are ahead of time. Um, but basically, we'll be in John 14, John 16, and Romans 8. John 14, John 16, Romans 8. So we're going to start John 14, if you just want to go there first. We've been studying the Holy Spirit. And I think it's been very clear to me and probably the rest of you here that what we need the most in America today is not just political reform, better ideas, better policies, vaccines. What we need is the Holy Spirit. Um, without the Holy Spirit, without God intervening in this world, we actually learned last week that all of us would cease to exist. The Spirit still sustains us to this day. And I mean, that doesn't have to be like, like hokey, weird science. Like that's, that can be real science too. Um, just think about the principle about the fact that nobody really knows why atoms are sticking together and not just blowing apart and like drifting off the space. There's like that atomic glue. Like why does that happen? Um, there's a lot of, a lot of things that happen in this world that you can't really explain without positing there's someone sustaining and holding it all together. Even as things seem to be falling apart, Pastor Lloyd says things are actually falling into place. So I think we'll see that as we talk about the Holy Spirit and his role in being with us. Last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit being in us, but now our relationship with him being with us. So Romans, Romans, John chapter 14. I realized I did not turn there, so that's not helpful. We'll read verse 15 through 18. This is Jesus before he goes to the cross, speaking to a couple of his own followers. And he said in verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. See the capital H if you're looking at New King James Version? signifying a person of the Holy Spirit, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So two different verbs, right? He'll be with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Give us wisdom for today. Give us guidance. Because apart from you, Lord, we're lost. We don't know how to navigate this world. We're stressed out. We're anxious. But we're thankful because you can be our guide through all of this difficult terrain in front of us. So we pray tonight that we would have that guidance and have that encouragement. We'd have that comfort. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's imagine that you were given three Hard questions, three hard questions. First question is this. Let's say that you have a friend who is a homosexual and he's heard things about Christianity and he looks at you and says, I know what Christians believe. I know what the Bible says about people being gay and homosexual. And I want to know, like, do you approve of me? And they're like, well, of course, I love you. I care about you. And they say, well, what do you think about homosexuality? What do you think about that whole subject? How would you answer that question? What about 
person comes up to you and they, they tell you, you know, they sit you down and they're obviously emotionally distraught. They're in tears and they're going to tell you something they've not told anybody. And they tell you that they're pregnant and they're pregnant because someone forced themselves upon them and they haven't told a single other, other person. They have no idea what to do. How do you counsel that person? What if you find out, here's the third question. Let's say that you find out that one of your closest friends, his girlfriend is cheating on him and you find out before he does. How do you approach that subject with him? Like, do you tell him, do you not tell him? Like, what do you do? There are some really difficult questions that we have to answer. These are life practical questions, right? And answering those questions wrong can take a person and completely shut them off to anything that has to do with God because you represent the church. You represent Christians, Christianity. You represent Jesus. And the other thing too is not just the Christian witness, but that could really mess up their life if you get that one wrong. And we've heard stories of this. Christians who give terrible counsel to people and it winds up leading to people who are hurt, abused, take their own lives, all kinds of terrible things. So no matter what your question, your answer to the question is, and that's a subject for another time. Those are really interesting questions that maybe I got you already thinking like, was he going to answer the question? I'm not. Sorry. But the reason why I bring those questions up is because all of us know that they're difficult questions. And no matter how you answer the question, all of us could agree that it'd be really nice if Jesus was in person and he just answered those questions for you. If you have that option, Jesus had office hours here at the church. Anytime you want, just book an appointment, meet with Jesus. Wouldn't that be a relief? Like, oh, I don't have to worry about anything anymore. Just life struggles, life problems. Someone texts you and they're like, what do I do? And like, hold on, meet with Jesus. And then I will let you know exactly what he says. But realize the disciples 2,000 years ago had that. They had a personal Jesus walking around with them. Anytime they didn't know what to do, Jesus was there. And so Peter would look at Jesus and say like, okay, I know you just gave a really cryptic story to the rest of the crowd. What does that mean? You said something about like the wise man who builds, you know, house on the rock and sand. Like, what does that mean? You talked about, you know, the parable of the seeds and the sower. And what does that mean? And Jesus said, oh yeah, I'll, I'll take some time and I'll explain those things to you. Also times where Peter's looking at Jesus and says, wait, you want to feed this great multitude, 5,000 people? You know, 5,000 men, maybe it's 20,000 with women and children. You want to read, you want to feed this great multitude? How in the world are we going to find enough food to feed this many people? And Jesus goes, well, it's easy. I'm God. Give me what you got and I'll just multiply 20,000 times. Oh, okay. Thank you. Thanks, Jesus, for saving us again. Or imagine this scenario. Imagine you're a disciple, you're representing Jesus, and you're like, all right, I'm one of the 12. Like, I'm one of those, like, super apostle guys. And Jesus says, I want you to go cast out that demon. You're like, yeah, easy. And then you go off, and you're like, all right, this guy's obviously, looks like he's lost his mind. He's, like, spitting and vomiting and all kinds of crazy stuff, and he has this dark, demonic voice. But I'm a, I'm a disciple, so I will cast out this demon. And then you try and you fail. Like that happened for them, right? They're trying to cast out a demon, doesn't work. So they go back to Jesus and they go, uh, 
it's kind of embarrassing. I know you told me to cast out the demon. It didn't work. What do I do now? Why weren't we able to cast out this demon? And in that moment, when they failed, they could always go back to Jesus and Jesus would always give them the answer. Well, here's the thing. Through the Holy Spirit, you and I have personal access to Jesus anytime, anywhere. If Jesus was here physically, none of us would be able to book an appointment. I'm pretty sure half of the world would want to book an appointment with him. But because he has promised to live in us, at any point in time, you have access to him. This is why in John 14, he says, listen, I will give you another helper, verse 16, that he may abide, he may live with you forever. He's the spirit of truth. He doesn't just correspond to the truth. He just doesn't just know the truth. He is the truth. And the world cannot receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you know him and he will dwell with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus is saying, I know I'm leaving. It's better that I go because when I go, I will send the Holy Spirit. Better. You have to believe that. Jesus wasn't lying and he wasn't trying to like make it sound good. Saying, oh, what do I say to these disciples? I have to leave. So I, I guess I'll just tell them it's going to be better for them that I go. Otherwise, they're never going to leave me alone. Jesus could not lie. So when he says it's better that I leave, he was telling the truth. Because now his spirit is available to all of us. The question is, do we access the Holy Spirit? Do we approach him? Or do we just presume because we think like the world? We don't see him. We don't know him. So we don't ask him. If you're trying to change your life, you might go about a couple different ways. You might form a to-do list, New Year's resolutions. I've always been big on New Year's resolutions. Some people don't because they feel like it's just a list of ways that they fail. And I don't think anybody perfectly follows the resolutions. You set your goals, don't always achieve them. I myself am like that. And here's what I found is even better than having a to-do list, having a list of all the things that you want to change in your life. And constantly I'm always shifting and changing and, and looking at how I can improve and save time and best manage my time. What I found is even better than that though, is having your habits change. Just one little thing. I found this little app. Um, I don't know if it's any good or not, but maybe it's good, where it's designed to help you change habits one step at a time. And it gives you a daily reminder. It's like, all right, first thing you need to do to change your life is drink a glass of water in the morning. And a tiny little change in your life will change your whole morning. I'm like, whoa, that sounds cool. But the whole point is, if you had someone who's coaching you through each step, that's a lot easier than you trying to plan out all of your ways, all of your plans, and all the steps it'll take to change your life. Naturally, a coach, a qualified coach, knows exactly what you need. When I was trying to compete in rock climbing a couple of years ago, I hired and paid for virtual coaches that were coaching at the time, this, uh, the national bouldering champion. So I paid the money and the whole point was to coach them or they would coach me, not by telling me, hey, you're doing a great job. You can do it. I'm so proud of you. Like that's, that's nice too. But I want them to tell me specific things that I can change and by them, with their, their wealth of knowledge and their expertise, they'd be able to give me principles. And you see in John 16, verse 13, it says, the spirit of truth, when he has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will be that daily director that shows you exactly what you need to change and what you need to do. 
So having the Holy Spirit with us means that we have a helper to guide our heart, mind, and will that is often prone to wander from the truth. So we were talking about different aspects of the Holy Spirit, right? Last week, we was talking about the enormous gap that God bridged when he sent his son into the world and how amazing it is that the Holy Spirit can live inside human beings, what that means for us and how people have dreamed and hoped for and wished and prophesied about the day that you and I would have access to God's spirit and that he would never leave us nor forsake us. And today we're talking about what it means that the Holy Spirit is with us. But first let's talk about in the Greek, the word that it used when it talks about the Holy Spirit as a helper is the word paraclete. So that word can be translated a couple of different ways. Some, some commentators say it's the comforter. Maybe you've heard that before, but I don't know if that's the most helpful because when I think of comforter, I think of a blanket and the Holy Spirit is not necessarily like a blanket, you know, like he's not just there to help you feel better about your life. So maybe that's not the best word. Then you hear you have helper, but it's like, he's not like your minion who just kind of comes around as your servant and is just like, I'm here to help you anything, anything you need. Maybe you've heard advocate, but probably the best definition of this is like a legal attorney. The Holy Spirit is your legal attorney. He's there anytime you need him with his expertise to defend you against the enemy, the evil spirits, Satan himself who accuses you. And he's also there to point out things that are done wrong. He's there as the prosecutor, but he's also there as the judge who pronounces grace over you. So he defends, but he also inspects and he goes, hey, there's a couple things you need to change. And to have that legal defense attorney at, at your, your help and at your side means that at any point in time, you never really have to listen to the voices of the enemy. Now, whether you're a Christian or not, all of us have those voices. Whether you say it's like, it's my inner voice or my negative feelings, or I need more self-esteem. You have, you've probably gone through some time in your life, you're talking down to yourself or you're feeling negative or you just feel depressed or, or down. And we know that there's a spiritual battle as well. Sometimes it's not just you. Sometimes that there is an enemy of our soul who's trying to bring us down so that we never seek the truth. We are opposed to God. We don't want to seek God because we feel like all God's going to do is further condemn us or make us try to meet standards that we know we're never going to reach. I have to change my life. I'm going to have to be a good person. I'm going to have to do all the things God wants me to do and go to church and read the Bible. And, and you're looking at all these things that you have to do. But when you have the Holy Spirit, he is the comforter, the helper, the advocate, the legal defense attorney. He's the one who says, no, no, no. I'm here to assist you, but never to condemn you. I'm here to, to be the encourager. So let's look at John 16, verse five now. John 16, verse five, Jesus says again to his disciples, now I go away to him who sent me and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I will tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, 
of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father, is, the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take, care, take of mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit has come to, it says, convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. We have to know that if God is going to be God, there will be a point that we don't agree with God because God is not us. Like even in marriage, there will be points that you do not fully agree on everything with your spouse, even though you're one flesh and you've entered into that union. So with God, he's going to have different opinions than you. And here's, here's the thing. He's always right and you're always wrong. But that means that when he comes, when the Holy Spirit's here, there are three aspects that he's convicting. He's, he's, he's showing that dividing line. It's sin, righteousness, and of judgment. What does that mean? Well, this means sin, the sin of unbelief. Righteousness, false righteousness. Judgment, false judgment. So in other words, when the Holy Spirit came into the world and comes into our hearts to separate God's people from the people of the world, he has to reveal what the true church is and what is opposed to his true, true church. What is the truth and what is falsity? Which means that there are people who say, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I love God. I go to church. I go to mass. But they don't have faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross for them. They have faith in themselves. I'm a good person. I, I try to do my best. I mean, I don't really hurt people. They rely on themselves. False righteousness is the righteousness believing that God is going to be impressed by the things that you do. You know, how many good deeds I did for the poor and how many times I served and, and how much money I gave away. But the Bible says all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. When we bring up the best of our works to him, it's still tainted by selfish motivation, tainted by sin, tainted by wrongdoing. All, the, all these things, it's a mixed bag that we're offering to him. It's no, still not perfect like the life that Jesus lived for us. And of judgment because... There's spiritual blindness. People are not able to discern the truth because there is a deceiver and a liar in this world. And so people are always talking about, wake up America, wake up Christians. You got to see the truth. But really, the only true way to wake up is to stick your head in this book, to know the Holy Spirit, know his voice. Because people are going to be wrong. The best of all scientists are going to be wrong. The smartest people in this world are going to be wrong. There's only one person who's never wrong, and that's Jesus. And that's why we need to make judgment according to the Spirit's judgment. And so he's come into the world, and he separates the church from the world. Now, in church history, maybe you didn't know this, but a lot of church doctrine was formed because there were heresies. So the Apostles' Creed, different creedal documents formed by the early church were formed because people were saying, you know, I don't know if Jesus really had a body when he resurrected. I don't know if he, he, was, he was like a spirit because the body's evil and 
people started saying wacky stuff. Well, maybe like the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are just like one and the same. So it's like Jesus is the Father and is the, the Holy Spirit and they're all just like the same person. They just have different names. And as people are saying stuff like that, the church goes, that's wrong. Well, what's wrong about it? I don't know. Let's think really hard. And the falsity, the lies, force them to document the truth. A lot of people give church flag and they're like, the church should be known for what they're for, not what they're against. That's probably true. At the same time, know that almost all of church doctrine was formed because we're speaking against heresy. We need to have convictions about what the truth is. There has to be division to separate the light and the dark. So sometimes you need the opposition in order to further clarify what it is that you believe. It wasn't until I took a philosophy course in college where my philosophy professor was coming in and speaking out against the Catholic church and how religion is evil and all the dogma is evil and, and whatever, that I was forced to, for the first time in my life, think really critically about what I believe. And I would just go to class really angry and I had no idea what to say. I'd sit in class and he just bashed Christianity and I'd go like, oh, I wanna say something, but I wanna sound stupid, so what do I do? So I started reading books apologetics books. Everything that I know about apologetics is basically because of that philosophy class. Because I became so obsessed with knowing the truth because there was opposition. Here's the thing. A lot of times, Christians who grow up in the church grow up in a church bubble where all they know are Christian people. If you're not a Christian person, you're hearing this, you're like, what? Really? It's true. You grow up in a Christian bubble, you have no non-Christian friends or people of other faith backgrounds. And so what happens is you never have opposition and you never have strong beliefs in anything you believe. So the minute somebody puts out a heresy, you have no idea how to answer it. And then people start to have their faith erode. Maybe they're right. I've never heard this before. Yeah, maybe that's true. Maybe all religions are right. Maybe Jesus can't be the truth because there's so many different faiths out there. And you've never heard this stuff before because you don't actually talk to people that think differently than the way that you do. But it's so important for us to be able to know the difference between truth and falsehood. And the Holy Spirit is the one who does that work of conviction to show us what is right and what is wrong. In fact, the very first sin was when, what? Adam and Eve sought to know right from wrong apart from God. So it should be with us, or it shouldn't be that way with us, that we are seeking truth not because we're looking to the news or the headlines or documents or whatever. We're looking to this as our primary source of truth first and then looking elsewhere. So to separate the church from the world, the Holy Spirit needs to convict the church of the sins that we are holding on to. He's going to do that convicting work in your life and in my life. And if God is truly going to be our guide, it means he needs to show us when we're starting to go off course. So you hear the word comforter, helper, advocate, and you're like, oh, that's great. That's awesome. But it may not feel awesome, which is why people reject the Holy Spirit, why people don't have the Holy Spirit sovereign in their lives, guiding their lives, because they're afraid of the kind of correction he's going to bring. Wait a minute. I'm going to have to change that about my lifestyle. I'm going to have to change that about the way that I think, the way that I believe, the way that I talk. And Yeah, if you want the benefits of having a spirit-filled life, if you want freedom from guilt and condemnation on a daily basis, if you want to be able to step in fully into what God's calling you to do and have an impact on the world and maximize that, 
if you want to be able to impact souls for all of eternity, you're really going to have to start eradicating some of those old habits that aren't you anymore. But to do that means that you allow the Holy Spirit to look inside and poke at it. So do you know somebody that critiques everything about you? Somebody who's super critical? Maybe it's your boss. You can't do anything right in the eyes of your boss. Anytime you get an email from your boss, you're, you get like, your heart starts beating fast. Because like, oh no, what's it going to be this time? Maybe it's a classmate, a teacher, your parents. It bothers you because you feel like they're out to get you. So maybe it's possible that out of the same fear that we view the Holy Spirit the same way. You're afraid of the conviction of the Holy Spirit because the conviction that you're used to is the condemnation, not conviction. You're so used to people saying negative things about you because they don't believe in you. They're like, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. They're looking into your life, waiting for you to mess up. And they're making proclamations about what kind of person you are. You're stupid. That's why you're always forgetful. You never forget to sign out your name, fill out your timesheets. You never, and they, they always go back to the little things. They nitpick. And you're so used to that. You're so tired. You're so anxious. You, you just can't deal with any more criticism. So you avoid the Bible because it's full of criticism and critiques. Oh man, I know what, if I come to church, I'm going to be convicted. I'm going to feel terrible about myself. I'm going to cry. And then I'm going to go right back to the way I lived. And so you start to, uh, this pattern emerges. We start to hide and bottle things up. Well, you need to know that there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation says that you are wrong, you are bad, and you're never going to be right. Conviction is here's the thing that's holding you back from being all that you're designed and created to be. But the real you is hidden in Christ, which means that the Holy Spirit convicts because he loves us and wants us to grow. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12 real quick. Hebrews chapter 12 in the New Testament. Turn to the right. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Skip to verse 11. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now, I'll be honest, as a father... And when you guys get to be parents, or some of you are parents, you'll know that's true. I don't always parent because I have their best interest in mind. Sometimes I have my best interest in mind. Sometimes the way I discipline is because they're being annoying. Not necessarily because they're doing something sinful and wrong. And that's where I need to correct my parenting. Sometimes it's, I told you five times, now you're punished for the rest of the day. And like, I just didn't hear him because they're just not thinking, right? They're like, oh, yeah, yeah. But they're not like focused or watching TV or they're on the computer. They're doing something and they're not focused. So they don't really hear me. But to me, it's how dare they not pay attention to me? I am an important person. I am their father. 
They need to give me respect. And because they're being disrespectful to me, I'm going to punish them and make them regret it. Like that's the sinful propensity of our hearts when we parent. Now, I know you're not parents, so you're judging me all right now. You're just like, really? What an evil parent you are. You're going to do it too, I promise you. But God doesn't do that with us. He never gets annoyed and just starts disciplining you just because. All right, I've had it with you. That's it. I'm fed up. You're still struggling with this sin. What's wrong with you? And you guys do that to each other, don't you? Can you hold me accountable? I'm, I'm really struggling with this one thing. Sure, man. What do you need me to hold you accountable with? Well, I just need help, like, reading the Bible every day. The third day is like, you still haven't read the Bible. What's wrong with you? What kind of Christian are you? I bet you in 10 years, you're never going to come back to church. You're going to be a Buddhist and whatever. It's just nothing wrong with Buddhists. Well, there are a lot of things wrong with Buddha. As a person, okay, I'm getting myself in trouble. God doesn't do that with you. He never gets annoyed, ticked off, and then says, I've had it. That's it. Anytime he corrects, it's because he loves you. Anytime he disciplines, it's to make you better and to make you more like the person that he's created. And so there are highlights I have at times when I'm disciplining because I do love them and I care for them. And not because I'm ticked off or annoyed or anything like that. But I'm showing them, hey, what you did was dangerous. You jumped into a pool and you didn't have your swimmies on. That is dangerous. And you need to be in timeout. You need to do these things. It's because I love you. I don't want you ever to be in that dangerous situation. And so because of that, I'm going to make sure that um, that doesn't happen to you. So if the Holy Spirit convicts, you also need to know, it also means he supplies the power to change. If I'm disciplining my children, it's not, I'm never disciplining them for things that they are not able to do. What's wrong with you? You still can't drive yet. You're five years old. I'll never, I'll never do that. But if I'm punishing them, it's because I, I'm expecting them to do something I'm asking them to do. And sometimes they'll, they'll reply to me, I can't do it. There's no way. I can't take the garbage out. There's no way I can do it. It's just too heavy. It's like you can definitely, yes, you are definitely strong enough. The garbage is like this big, you know, like it's a diaper. So I can't do it. I'm going to puke if I carry the diaper. It's like, you'll be fine. I mean, like, Soon enough, you're going to be changing diapers for us. So better get used to it. So if God's asking you to change your lifestyle, he always supplies the power to change. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is, as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with a temptation will also make the way of escape that you are able to bear it. So quickly now, the remainder of our time, we're going to talk about the three ways in which the Holy Spirit guides us. When he's with us, he's our guide. And here are the ways that he guides us. Number one, he guides our hearts. Guides our hearts. Our hearts need guidance because they're prone, prone to wander. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Maybe you've heard a billion times people say, follow your heart. Just whatever feels right, just do it, man. Do whatever, like do you. But that's terrible advice because we often don't even know what we want. We're conflicted. I don't know what I want when it even comes to like eating, right? Like what should I cook for dinner? I don't know. Now I can cook, by the way. Be proud of me. But like you're getting takeout. What should we order? You have no idea. And if you're told like, well, what do you want in the deepest parts of who you are? I want a lot of things equally. And sometimes they're all contradictory. I want to be healthy 
and I also want to eat junk food all day. Like, I just want both of those things. And sometimes you, you know, like, if I eat this, I'm going to feel terrible, but I want it so bad. I don't even care. And after, it's like, why did I ever do that? We're, we are full of contradictions as human beings. So the advice to just follow your heart is not the best advice. Think about when you, you there's that person that you first liked, you had the crush on, right? And you're so convinced, I'm going to marry this person. I spent the rest of my life with this person. Now, if, imagine marrying that person. There might be like one person in this room that's just like, I did, and it was great. The rest of us are like, oh gosh, what a terrible decision that would be, right? Because you didn't know. You didn't have the maturity. You were so mature at that age, but now you're way more mature than you were at 13, 14, 15. And you see the light. Like, what was I thinking? God spared me. Our hearts are deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Oftentimes we were led by our hearts into depression. As even the prophet Elijah was. He was, he was close to God. He won a battle. First Kings chapter 19, he runs away in, in depression and says, God, just take my life. I don't, I don't even want to live anymore. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit guided him back to the truth. Moses, in his anger, must I strike this rock? He says to the Israelites in the middle of the desert, he, he gets ticked off, right? He's had it. He's fed up. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit speaks to him. Moses, what are you doing? You're misrepresenting me. David, in his lust, he chooses Bath Bathsheba and commits adultery with her. And the Holy Spirit sent Nathan the prophet to him to guide him back to truth. Listen to the words of Jesus in John 14, now verse 25. It says, These things I've spoken to you while being present with you, but the, whole, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you, uh, do I give to you, but let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The words of Jesus, and you're starting to see this pattern emerge, right? Like, don't be worried. Don't freak out. I'm going. But at the same time, I'm sending someone who's going to help you. He's going to lead you to all truth. And if you, if you haven't been taking notes this whole time, disciples, I know like we don't have paper and pens and stuff like that. If you're forgetting these things, that's okay. Because the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance the words I've spoken to you. And he does that. I know that's the case. Sometimes I'm like talking to a family member, a friend about Jesus. And then you're like, a verse is popping out of your mouth. And you're like, oh, yes, I forgot about that verse. Or you're encouraging one another. And as you are, you're just like, oh, I read this the other day. I totally forgot I read that the other day. But it's, yeah, thank you. That was so encouraging. And the Holy Spirit at the right time brings in the right word. But the key is, if he brings it to remembrance, you got to first know it before you can remember it. You first have to read it. He can never bring to remembrance the words that you don't know. You need Jesus' words abiding in you so that you can speak those words which are spirit and life to other people. There's nothing more encouraging than hearing the true words of God. And it's at the right time, the right season. When you're depressed, you're discouraged, and God just gives you that right verse in that moment that you needed it the most. A.W. Tozer, pastor, he said this, the work of the Holy Spirit is, among other things, to rescue the redeemed man's emotions, to restring his harp, and to open again the wells of sacred joy that have been stopped up by sin. I thought that was great. I'll read it again. Uh, 
The work of the Holy Spirit is, among other things, to rescue the redeemed man's emotions, to restring his harp, and to open again the wells of sacred joy that have been stopped up by sin. Maybe you have been led astray by your heart and you're dealing with depression, suicidal tendencies even. Maybe it's anger, bitterness. The Holy Spirit can open up those wells that have been stopped up by sin. And he can free you tonight. If you've been holding on to things, he can release you of those things tonight. So he guides our hearts. Secondly, he guides our minds. Romans chapter eight, verse five. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. If you're going to live as a person who wants to dictate everything that you do, plan everything you do, good luck. But why not? If you have this God who is God, who knows everything, who's willing to speak to you, why not let him be the one who guides you? But to do that means that you set your mind on the things of the Spirit. You can't do the works of the Spirit without setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. So what's dominating your mind? What's guiding your mind? Is your mind wandering even in this very moment? I'm looking at you. Just kidding. Well, I, I am looking at you, so that's part I'm not kidding about. Is your mind wandering from things that are of the Spirit? Think of whatever's noble and true and just and pure of good report, anything praiseworthy. Are you thinking of those things? Or is your mind kind of circum, circumspect around lust, greed, envy? You might be thinking, well, I'm not acting on those sins. But we know that in Romans chapter 8, verse 5, to be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You're not, you're not accidentally going to find yourself in right actions without a right mindset. It's impossible. You will not accidentally find yourself being in top shape athletically and winning marathons without setting your mind to do it. You will not accidentally find yourself being successful as a businessman or successful as a doctor without studying putting your mind towards those ends. Why do we believe that holiness comes without the mindset? Why do we believe that holiness happens on accident? I'll just casually read every now and then and casually pray and eventually I'm going to be close with God. I'm just going to show up to Great Inn on Thursdays and sometimes on Sundays or watch every now and then and eventually God and I, will, we're going to be tight. You need to set your mind on the things of the Spirit intentionally. So think about What's holding you back from that? What's, what is it that you really want the most in life right now? Does it have anything to do with God? Anything to do with eternity? Or the things that are going to crash and burn? Things that only are of value in this life. Your greatest desire right now, what is it? Is it, I just want to be married and have kids, have money, you know, look the part, have 50,000 followers on Instagram, and then I'll be happy. Can't do TikTok anymore because it's over. So you're, you're thinking of like things that ultimately, does that matter in the long run? Now, some of it can be redeemable, right? Like you can use social media as a mission. You can use your family as a mission. You can use marriage as a mission. Use all those things as tools to glorify God. But sometimes people make those tools the end instead of the means. 
they make them the ultimate thing. They worship those things. And if I don't get what I want, if I don't get enough money, you're devastated. Because like all of your hopes and dreams were caught up in you landing the perfect job and now coronavirus and oh no, I didn't get the job that I wanted. And I'm not making the, the money I thought I was gonna get. And all of those things that you were so certain you were gonna get ultimately are slipping through your fingers. But if you want what Jesus has to offer, offer, all you have to do is ask. You can have Philippians 4, 7 says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding that will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Lastly, he guides our wills. Guides our will. Romans chapter 8, verse 12 says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So you don't have to do the things that your flesh, the old sinful nature, wants you to do. If, if you put your faith in Jesus, you are now born again. You have the Spirit living inside of you. You can follow Him. You have a choice. You don't have to follow your selfish desires and do all the things that benefit you. That's inward and crushing and dehumanizing. You get to follow him in eternal life. But are you being led by his spirit on a daily basis? Are you submitting your will to his? Are you letting him be your guide in decisions that you make every single day? Acts chapter 20, verse 22, Paul the apostle says, See, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. He says, I think God is calling me to go to a place that I'm actually going to suffer more, be persecuted more. But I know that that is exactly what God wants me to do. I'm going to be more fulfilled and God will get more glory as I go. Or even Philip, when he was meeting the Ethiopian eunuch in the middle of a desert, it's because the spirit said to him, go near and overtake this chariot in Acts chapter 8, verse 29. Literally, that makes no sense. If you're thinking about like, this is the early church, revival's happening everywhere. People are getting saved in masses. Thousands of people are coming to know Jesus. This one guy, Philip, he's listening to the Spirit. The Spirit says, I want you to go into the middle of a desert and just wait there, just hang out. That is not like the best church planning strategy. Go into the middle of a place where there aren't any people. But he goes, okay, that's what God wants me to do. I'm going to do it. And he waits there and there's, this one dude just sitting by this lake, this Ethiopian eunuch just reading the Bible by himself, like literally the easiest conversion that's ever happened in all of history. He's reading the Bible and then Philip goes up to him and goes, hey, what you got there? You understand what you're reading? And, he, and the guy goes, how can I unless somebody explains it to me? So he's like, oh, I guess this is the open door. This is what God wanted me to do. And he would have completely missed it if he simply looked on pragmatic terms. If he looked logically and says, well, numerically it makes more sense to go to the most densely populated area, the people that have the most need, I'll take a survey. And instead of doing that, he goes, Lord, where do you want me to go? If you want to have a radically transformed, crazy life, start praying that. Lord, I will go wherever you want me to go. Are you prepared for that kind of path? Are you ready for the Holy Spirit to guide your every decision? 
Or are you waiting for the perfect opportunity for everything to happen? Are you waiting for safety and security? Are you waiting for enough money in the bank? Waiting for the right relationship? Right circumstance? You haven't shared with your friends yet about Jesus because you're waiting for the, the right open door. So you're just waiting for the perfect opportunity to do everything. I'm going to conclude with a story about D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody, we've talked about him a couple times before in this series. Uh, he was a very popular evangelist who had a great reputation. And he went on a preaching mission at Cambridge University. And the thing is, he was uh, not educated formally. And so the students at Cambridge University heard that an illiterate American was going to preach to the students there. A thousand students at Cambridge University came to hear this week-long preaching seminar by D.L. Moody. So they made fun of him. Moody was preaching on Daniel in the lion's den, and he couldn't pronounce Daniel right. He was saying Daniel instead of Daniel. So every time he said Daniel, all the students would roar in, in laughter and, and make fun of him. And so they booed him out. And the next night, from 1,000, it dropped down to 100 people. So one of the leaders of the riot approached D.L. Moody and apologized to him and said, hey, I know that's not the way to treat a visiting guy who's a reverend or whatever you are. And so I'm really sorry. So D.L. Moody says, I'll forgive you if you sit in the rest of the teachings the rest of the week. And so he sat in the front seat. And Moody preached all week and waited till Friday night, the last night, for a time of response. And the people that received Jesus at that response were people like Gerard Lander, who was the bishop of Hong Kong, and C.T. Studd, a very popular Christian author, as well as many others. But from that one meeting came to be known people that were known as the Cambridge Seven, who were students who loved Jesus, who turned universities upside down for Jesus Christ. Deal Moody was not waiting for the perfect opportunity. He went to people that seemed like they didn't want anything to do with the gospel, but he obeyed the leading of the Holy Spirit. When I first heard that story is by uh, Pastor Joey Rozek, who's down in Freehold now, and he was a missionary to England. And he was telling us this story in the same church that D.L. Moody was preaching to all those thousand students. And so as he was doing that, there's this, uh, this young woman who uh, sat in the back. And afterwards, she was just like the only person. It was just our group and, and this one woman who jumped in the back. So Joey approached that woman afterwards and started talking to her. And it turns out she was a young lady from a small, small island off of Singapore who was only there for a couple days and felt like something was leading her to walk into the church at that specific time as Joey was telling us the story about D.L. Moody preaching and then gave her the gospel story. She had never heard the gospel before and never read the Bible before. And she'd only been there for two days and then was going back to Singapore. And I thought that was like such a weird divine opportunity, right? But the whole thing is don't wait for per perfect circumstances because wherever you are is the perfect circumstance because God is the one who's put you there. And he's asking for you to open up your eyes and see the opportunities around you. So are you willing to get uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel? To get on the boat that God is leading and driving? Are you willing to let your will be guided by the Lord, your mindset, your heart? Submit all those things to Christ. Because by doing so and allowing the Holy Spirit to be your teacher and your leader, that allows you to be able to enter into all truth 
and and really there's nothing holding you back, right? There's nothing there's nothing that you're going to lose by submitting yourself to the Holy Spirit. So why not do that tonight? Let's pray.